Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, this is Jen Rubin, and this is Jen Rubin's Green Room. I know many people are distressed and depressed that nearly three years after January 6th, Donald Trump has not been convicted of anything. He's not gone to trial anywhere. And yet there are hopeful signs. The wheels of justice turn slowly, but they do turn. And as we sit here today, there are in fact four criminal proceedings against Donald Trump that are pending. There's a major case in New York that could strip him of his business licenses uh, there. And there are a slew of associates, former employees, who are also facing criminal penalties and could very well turn on him. So I think there is reason to be optimistic Donald Trump has gotten through his entire life being a BS uh, agent. He has lied about his wealth. He lies about who he is. He lies about what he's done. He lies about his business. And he's never really held to account because he has operated in the world of media and the world of politics. But here's the thing, folks. When you get inside a courtroom, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he has misrepresented the facts to his fan base. It doesn't matter that he claims he won the election because we know he didn't. That in the court of law, objective truth still matters and the rule of law still matters. And that's the reason I think why I have remained somewhat optimistic during the Trump era. And that Trump cannot really manipulate the legal system in the same way he has manipulated and abused the political system. And he really now, for the first time, is facing uh, the music. He's facing the potential of incarceration. He's facing the potential of financial ruin. And he is facing, um, I think, even for him, a sense of humiliation that his career and that his business life is going to end in failure. And failure and humiliation, of course, are soul-killing for Donald Trump, who cannot admit he's ever been uh, in error of anything. He can never admit he's lost anything. And he depends upon this illusion of strength and success that he has spun for himself. So the chickens, yes, may be coming home to roost. Um, but it is also true that it's very hard to keep track of all of these cases. I get confused. I lose track of where we are in some of them. Certainly, the calendar has gotten crowded with uh, events uh, pertaining 
to each one of these. Um, but the good news is that there are a cadre of smart lawyers and former lawyers who um, have become, uh, become familiar to all of us. They're almost like household friends. Um, and in my case, they are real friends who go on the air, who write articles, who uh, provide analysis so that the ordinary citizen can understand what is going on. And I have to say, at the very pinnacle of this group of public lawyers is Norm Eisen. Norm was the counsel for the House managers in the first impeachment. He writes really beyond frequently, consistently, constantly. Um, you'll see his work in the New York Times. You'll see it in uh, the website Just Security, which is an absolute necessity for those who want to keep current with the trials and events. He produces voluminous analysis at Brookings, um, where he is a senior fellow. And of course, you'll see him on CNN, um, where he answers questions. He reports in real time as the cases are handed down and as developments break. Uh, and he has rarely, if ever, been shown to be wrong. He has a remarkable uh track record. Um, he is also a good and dear friend, um, and I am thrilled to have Norm with the program. Uh, Norm, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jen. So great to be with you. Oh, well, Norm, as I said, you are my go-to guy on all things Trump. Do you have like an entire filing cabinet someplace just with Trump stuff? Has it crowded out your entire <laughs> legal life? Um, is this all you do now? Um, remember that, um, uh, Saturday Night Live, um, character that Garrett Morris played, the baseball player, he says, yes. baseball been very, very good to me. <laughs> well, I can say Trump been very, very good to me. Bad for our country, bad yes. for rule of law, bad for democracy, but yes, all things Trump have now occupied my filing cabinets, my bookcase, my Twitter feed, exactly. uh, my Facebook page. But, uh, you know, I, I, as you know, because we're very good friends, I cherish the opportunity to fight for this democracy that has given me and so much taken in my family, so many millions of people defending this democracy. And I like to think I'm a happy warrior. So, Absolutely. Uh, you always have Trump a smile did. on your face. And I'll even, <laughs> and when Norm says that his country took him in, he is absolutely right. Norm, why don't you take two seconds and plug your wonderful book that has nothing to do with Trump. That is just a delightful tale of an important Jen. European country and a fabulous family story. Thank you. Well, my uh, parents uh, were both um, uh, Holocaust um, survivors. My mother um, survived the concentration camps. My dad was a refugee, fled in 1940, and this country took our family in, and I wrote a memoir of all that and of my ambassadorship going back to that country and actually living in the house where the occupying Nazi regime that ordered my family deported, that is now the U.S. ambassador's house where the Wehrmacht held court in Prague. So, uh, so that book is called The Last Palace. It's the story of that house and all the events of the past hundred years 
that swirled through there and my own family story. So and uh, it is a, such a great read. I am shocked it has not yet become a movie because it is the stuff movies and dreams are made of. But we'll uh, we'll we'll leave that there and then get back <laughs> to things. Trump, which is a much less, uh, at least now, uh, rewarding tale. Okay. So Donald Trump has four different criminal proceedings. So far, it seems as if the Jack Smith um, December, uh, January 6th trial is going to go first. Do you think that's going to hold? And do you think we're going to get a verdict from that trial before we get a verdict against Trump in any of the other criminal proceedings? Um, I do think that that date will hold. Um, as you know, uh, Trump is uh, fighting furiously, filing motions. He wants more time. Sometimes he tries to just uh, uh, get a small increment. Sometimes he tries to delay things by weeks or even months along the milestones, understanding that if a particular a hearing or a motion practice or discovery issue is pushed for months, it inevitably, inevitably means the trial date with, will roll. So far, the courts have been pretty resistant to that. And in particular, Judge Chutkin uh, here in the District of Columbia Federal Court, um, while she didn't give Jack Smith, all that he wanted, he asked for a trial to begin in January, which was very bold indeed. Um, he did get a March trial date. Probably when he picked January, he was comparing that to Trump's aspiration of 2026 and thinking, you know, there'd be some kind of half a loaf. And he got more than half a loaf with a March 2024 trial date. And I believe you picked March. You had that on the um, bingo pool. So uh, chalk one up uh, for uh, Norm. For a long time, um, many of us who are on the side of democracy were concerned that another judge, Judge Cannon in Florida, was going to drag her heels and draw this out and all the rest of it. Does that now look a lot less important and maybe even a blessing in disguise that the first criminal proceeding against Trump, at least with regard to January 6th or um, the uh, events um, that uh, I think most people are most concerned about, will come first and that we'll get to her and that trial whenever we get to that trial? You know, she, she's um, she's been surprising because... Perhaps chastened, it's certainly possible that she was chastened by uh, the uh, severe criticism that a very conservative 11th Circuit panel meted out uh, when she interfered with the um, uh, DOJ investigation that led to the Mar-a-Lago documents prosecution by appointing a special master. She's so far stuck to her May trial date. It's an important trial, but you know the the the, the March trial of Jack Smith may be one of the most important cases, the most important legal case for our democracy in our entire history. 
You know, it may have millennial importance, Jen, going back to the trial of Socrates, which I oh think my. was 399 wow. BC. So it, 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 it's so central. And I think when, you know, in, in, in years or, or even centuries from now, when they say, well, what are the most important legal cases that determine the fate of democracy? This one will be on the short list. So by that standard, the former president allegedly stole highly classified documents, casting doubt upon his fitness to serve again. Um, it's important. It doesn't quite measure up. Right. And should he not be convicted in a January 6th case, that would be the absolute of all possible worlds. You're talking about someone evading responsibility for the worst betrayal of any president in American history, one that didn't merely go to his kind of personal protection in a way that Nixon's um, involvement in Watergate did, but went to the heart of democracy, went to the peaceful transfer of power. So it is almost unimaginable in my mind um, that he could um, or would escape. But no trial is a slam dunk. So no. give us give us a short version of what are the strengths of the cases of that case and what are some of the weaknesses where um, Jack Smith is going to have to worry a little bit about how the case uh, might come out to a jury. Well, um, the strength of the case is in its simplicity. Smith um, has named some unindicted co-conspirators, uh, but has really focused his case on Trump. And um, the um, second strength of the case is uh, that, um, that Trump is his own worst enemy. Yeah. I mean, he would be the odds-on favorite if he had not uh, repeatedly and publicly sought to instigate an attempted coup to replace the winner of the 2020 election, Joe Biden, with himself, the loser. Um, and there's just a mountain of evidence. So right. um, that's a second strength. A, a lot of it was known even before we got that compl that uh, uh, indictment. Um, you know, the January 6th committee did such fantastic work in getting this evidence out. The third strength of the case, before we get to the challenges, is that Smith has pled the case in a, a very um, simple and, and logical uh, way. Uh, he takes us through the narrative of the attempted coup. Um, he sidesteps a complex uh, First Amendment questions. He doesn't charge Trump. He says explicitly in the indictment, look, we're not getting into protected speech here, but you can't use words to commit a crime. Uh, he focuses on very vanilla statutes. He doesn't try the innovative, you know, a lot of people wanted to see Trump charge for insurrection. No, he is um, proceeding under statutes like a conspiracy to defraud the United States or obstruction of an official proceeding in Congress that are routinely charged and have been charged thousands and thousands of times well established. And he explains the final strength is uh, he, he explains how those statutes are a good fit for Trump 
you know, refusing to admit he lost the election, getting phony, fake, counterfeit electoral slates, trying to use those to get Mike Pence to um, behave illegally to who thinks the vice president can suspend Congress and send an election back to state legislatures to overturn the choice that their voters made and supplant the winner of the election with the loser. I mean, it's insane. Smith makes that case. He does it in a simple, succinct, powerful way, factually and legally focused on Trump. Those are the three main strengths. Now, the challenges that Smith um, is going to have will come uh, with the fact that for all of the ways that he has tried to represent this as a normal case. It's an extremely abnormal case. We've never seen anything like this uh, in uh, American history. And so, um, you know, he's going to need to persuade a jury that um, um, these, uh, you know, that in fact, these were not aggressive legal positions, but they were, um, they were, they were bizarre. Uh, now that raises a second channel challenge. Trump is going to say, well, I'm just a layperson. I don't understand the law. These illegal geniuses like John Eastman and Ken Chesbro were saying this was all legal. So there'll be a debate about that reliance on counsel. Um, but there's a good answer. There's good answers to all these challenges right. because rely, you can't rely on counsel if you, if you should have known better. And uh, Trump was told over and over again by his own White House counsels, Deputy White House counsels, DOJ, this is illegal. This is wrong. Then you have, you know, well, Trump is going to say, I believed I lost, but there's a good, that's a challenge. But there's a good answer to that, uh, which is, you know, we don't allow self-help. And right. um, you, you, you did lose. He may right. say, I don't believe I lost. You did lose. And, the, and he, again, he was told he lost. The final uh, solution to all of these challenges that Smith has, Jen, is, you know, the district... <laughs> of Columbia jury, I believe I looked at the numbers and DC was something like uh, plus 88% for Biden over Trump. This is not going to be a place where you're going to get jury nullification. I think you'll get a fair jury. They'll hear him out. But in the end of the day, the jury's going to, you know, is not going to accept bogus arguments because of undue political sympathies. Now, I will say, Norm, I got a jury notice recently. It was for the District of Columbia courts, but I can imagine our friends' relations and all the rest getting, they're going to have to bring in a very large number of jurors, obviously, to wade through this. But we've had very high profile trials in D.C. Many, many times. We've had the Watergate trials. We've had all sorts of cases. And somehow judges do find jurors who say they can be uh, impartial, they can listen to the evidence. So this notion that somehow he has to move to West Virginia or some other place to get a fair uh, jury trial is, is really bunk, I think. Yeah. And, you know, the case is not, uh, the case is not moving. Okay. Uh, so, 
um, it's bunk and, and it's bunk um, that is not going to work. Right. It's also interesting when he raises the defensive counsel that he goes on an interview on TV and says, oh, I never paid attention to those lawyers anyway. I went with my gut. It was all my instinct. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. through how this works in trial. Before the trial begins, there are motions on both sides. Maybe the prosecutor moves to exclude all this evidence. Maybe the um, defense moves. And then what happens? They present, what, just clips of Donald Trump um, controverting his uh, legal claims? How does this play out? Well, um, a harbinger may be uh, that Trump and some of his uh, alleged co-conspirators are now um, suggesting that um, they may have no choice but to testify a little more frequently. So I don't think we can rule out the possibility that, uh, you know, Trump did ultimately appear for deposition in the Tish James civil fraud trial, making noises right. about testimony there. Mark Meadows testified in the removal case in that he lost ultimately in federal court in Georgia. The problem is that, you know, Trump is compromised in defending the case if he doesn't testify, but he may be even more compromised if he does. I would say it's malpractice to put this man on the, the stand, and any lawyer is going to have to document up the wazoo that he warned him, because this guy is, number one, a nonstop liar, and number two, is so easily baited. Like, you really knew the truth, didn't you? Um, all that, you know, uh, babble on uh, mainstream media that you had lost wasn't right, was it? Um, you know, he can be baited into making these self, uh, really destructive um, arguments and claims because he's not all that bright. He doesn't understand what's harmful and what's helpful. He doesn't understand the difference between a political play to the base and what's going to help or hurt him in a court of law. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. You know, uh, his lawyer, John Lauro, and I uh, used to practice uh, yes. criminal law together at uh, Zuckerman Spader. Um, and uh, Lauro is going to do everything in his power uh, to... Um, try to get Trump not to testify. Right. No. But it's hard to understand how once the case makes it past motions practice, um, and, you know, are there pieces of the case that 
Laura will undoubtedly try to get thrown out legally. Um, if that fails, it just is so hard to understand how Trump will uh, mount his own defense. This may be a case where they put on their defense just by cross-examining the prosecution witnesses. Maybe they have a legal expert or a lawyer testify that that the things to to, uh, knock out um, the... um, uh, the alleged electoral uh, certificate fraud that no a legal expert will come on and say that's what was done in Hawaii 1960. There were alternate slates. I mean, it's nonsense, but they right. may try to put on that kind of evidence. Um, you know, they may attempt to to um, uh, on on the obstruction of Congress to say uh, that was the rioters. That was not. Uh, Trump to try to do a causation defense. So maybe a few witnesses, mostly defending the case by tearing down the prosecution witnesses. But Jen, here's the real play. And it goes to what you're saying about the political nature of Trump's behavior. He's gambling everything on getting reelected and then pardoning himself or ordering his Department of Justice to drop the cases or both. That is on the federal side. That I think is Trump's end game. Right. He's he's actually hurting himself with some of these public statements he's making in the court of law. But so far, he's broken far ahead of the rest of the Republican pack in the court of GOP public opinion primary right. voters. Right now, what will not be. Um, salvageable is a conviction in Georgia state court because um, that are those are state court um, claims and the pardon process um, doesn't even go through the governor of Georgia goes through a, a different process. So if he is convicted there, he's SOL. Um, he has to worry that there will be a state conviction um, before he sees the White House or after he sees the White House. That's a much more complicated case. Um, you and I have had a spirited debate back and forth about whether it should have been more narrowly drawn or yeah. more widely drawn, but it is what it is. And so far, Fawny Willis is kind of chalking up the winds. Um, give us a little sense about what's gone right for her since she <laughs> followed this case. Um, I think on the whole, um, and I know this to be true because we've talked about this for years and years. You and I have agreed often when, you know, some, there's a certain amount, I love them, but there is a certain amount of uh, our friends and fellow commentators who are former federal prosecutors. And so they understandably have a great appreciation for the a federal uh, DOJ system, and maybe they're a little dubious about the state prosecutors and the Fonnie Willis's of the world. But in fact, she's been terrific throughout the case. Um, and, um, um, you know, I think that uh, uh, the challenge for her will be how quickly can she get the Trump case to trial. That's number one. That's undetermined. 
Um, can she get it in in 2024 before the general election? Um, she um, got uh, two of the attorneys, Ken Chesbro and Sidney Powell, in my view, exhibiting the same level of legal acumen that got both of them indicted with their legal advice. <laughs> um, they sought a speedy trial. So she is going to have to be successful at that trial, particularly against um, um, Chesborough, because that really what's on trial with Chesborough is is the theory that Trump is going to rely upon, right? That these lawyers said this was fine. So she really has to win for the sake of the larger enterprise. And then third, she will also face some uh, incoming if Trump should be successful in recovering the White House. His DOJ will undoubtedly throw everything in the book at that case to try to stop it. But I agree with you. I don't think that that's going to succeed. So, you know, they'll say, well, uh, it's a violation of the structure of the Constitution to prosecute a president while in office because uh, it interferes with the execution of his duties. But um, I don't I think the whole idea of the Constitution, American laws that no person is above the law. I don't see why the president alone in the entire country should be immune from prosecution. So those kinds of questions Right. Uh, are the third obstacle that she'll face in the fullness of time. It's very interesting. A lot of people who have gotten, unfortunately, used to this Supreme Court really being very partisan and very aggressive uh, in defense of the Republican agenda have said, well, eventually they will ride to his rescue. It's pretty interesting that when it actually comes to Trump personally, they haven't given him any breaks. He lost in the uh, case involving his accountant's documents, um, raising an absolute immunity defense, which failed. And more recently, mm-hmm. the appeal from John Eastman to the Supreme Court was rejected with, wouldn't you know, a certain justice not participating, yes, perhaps amazing. because it's an amazing. So maybe all of the public um, howling about the ethics of um, Justice Clarence Thomas um, came to some good because not only did the court turn them away, but he did not participate in that. Are we seeing maybe a chastened United States Supreme Court that is learning a lesson about survival in the uh, post-Trump era? You're not optimistic. Uh, no, <laughs> I, um, I, I am, you know, a congenital optimist. Uh, that's the only way I can get through the day in these very challenging times. And you, we started with my family story, you know. <laughs> you have to be an story, optimist to survive. Yeah. yeah, if that story doesn't make you an optimist, I, I don't know what... Uh, what could make me an optimist. Um, That being said, until we see the Supreme Court adopt a serious code of ethics, until we see them reject the um, radical uh, major questions doctrine where they're going to substitute their judgment for that of the executive uh, branch uh, and overturn longstanding Chevron deference uh, 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 until we see them um, 
step back from the precipice on the gun cases where they seem poised to further loosen restrictions. Uh, I, I just haven't seen enough evidence. Uh, it's good that Clarence Thomas was shamed into recusing himself on the John Eastman uh, privilege dispute, but um, I'll, I'll need a lot more uh, signs and wonders before I'm ready to uh, Fair to believe that things Fair are enough. changing. And maybe we can be optimistic in a more limited fashion that this court could unfortunately continue on its radical agenda, but not have much sympathy for Trump personally, um, who doesn't really do anything for them. They don't get any, any really um, legal brownie points, um, I think, for um, saving him. And he's kind of a reminder of the way in which these people got on the court. Yes. So they may not be all that sympathetic to bailing him out uh, and then having him around for God knows what kind of cases he's going to generate if he ever gets back in the Oval Office. So I'll be a little bit more measured in my yeah. Uh, well, the, the one they have been good on, you know, um, not falling for the various dimensions of Trump's election and democracy subversion. I, I'll give them that credit, but I think there's a certain amount of political calculation, as you point out, yes. in that he's not good for their, right. in my view, uh, extreme agenda. I think yes. that you know, and some of them are. I went to law school with Justice Gorsuch, and um, I've known him for a very long time. Uh, know the liberal justices, um, you know. Um, some of them are good people, um, but but the jurisprudence is profoundly concerning. And then, of course, Dobbs represented yes. the Supreme Court going full MAGA, as yes. I wrote at the time in a Brookings essay. If you look at it, it's so it's mis, misstatements of fact that characterize Trump and the MAGA movement. The disrespect for the rule of law, overturning longstanding precedent, misstating the law. The um, a gratuitous harm that this decision uh, will cause and um, uh, the lying uh, to the Congress, to the Senate about uh, just calling balls and strikes and then doing this, uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, it, it was, was a tour de force of awfulness. Yes, it was. It was. I want to touch briefly on a, a few discrete topics. The first is impeachment. Um, in the House of Representatives, they're having an impeachment inquiry, whatever the heck that is, since they didn't really have a, a vote on impeachment. And in Wisconsin, the Republicans, having lost a critical swing seat on the state Supreme Court, are attempting to impeach the justice who won, um, without her having ruled on a single case. Um, and if they do that, they hope to then tie up the court and prevail in defending their very radical opinions. How do we address this really refusal to abide by the outcome of elections? What's the solution when Republicans will not allow Democrats, when they win elections, to do their jobs? 
Um, and well, the solution is ultimately to uh, win uh, by margins so large that they can't be tampered with. Unfortunately, that's not always possible, as right. you see, for example, in the uh, Arizona Attorney General race, where A.G. Chris Mays was running against Abe Hamaday, a confirmed election denier. And uh, this, the, these races, particularly in Arizona, Carrie Lake, Hamaday, uh, and Mark Fincham, who was running for Secretary of State, you know, was a Trump slate. Uh, designed to take a hold of the levers of election power. And who knows what they would have done if they'd seized them, Jen. I mean, it's even worse than some of the, some of the predations we've seen. Um, fortunately, the voters repudiated, but in the case of Chris Mays, it was by about 250 votes. It was the closest uh, attorney general race, um, uh, I believe, uh, that we've ever seen in our country. So uh, there was a fierce legal battle. There were uh, multiple cases around that. And, you know, this is not a period where any American, whatever you bring to the table, um, can afford to uh, not to fight for our democracy. The lawyers need to get in there and file cases. Uh, voters need to vote. You and I often commiserate that we feel the press is, um, adheres to kind of pre-Trumpian standards of simply reporting on disinformation. But when you repeat disinformation, you give it uh, credibility. So I think there's a very important role for the press in doing this. And of course, for the two of us as commentators together with our fellow commentators. And I will just say in Wisconsin, um, the die is not yet cast, um, that um, there may be Republicans there, although it's uh, highly unlikely, who could say, you know, we shouldn't really go around impeaching justices um, just because we lose elections um, by 11 points. So I think fatalism and resignation is um, really um, a big aid to the authoritarians. Let's hope that they don't prevail there. Yes, the optimism you know, we need to be optimistic and, and we need optimism and we need activism. There you go. That's a good phrase. Now, one of the things that has driven me nuts during the Trump era has been the behavior of lawyers, the lawyers who enabled him, lawyers who are members of Congress who signed on to a brief that they knew was nonsensical, but that sought to disenfranchise millions of Americans, um, lawyers who gave uh, these ridiculous um, kinds of advice. But there is accountability for lawyers as well. So give us a little bit of a taste about how those people are faring. Um, some of them are facing criminal trials themselves, but some of them may actually lose their licenses. Um, give us a little rundown on um, whether crime pays for an attorney. And, you know, for the ones who were the most engaged uh, in the attempted coup, uh, it has not paid. Um, of course, we'll see how the criminal cases turn out. We'll get a relatively early indication in 2023 in the uh, Chesborough case. Jury selection will start 
uh, on October 20th. So we're really just a little over a couple weeks away from that case um, commencing. Um, the uh, uh, lawyers, uh, Eastman, uh, Powell, um, and others, uh, including the local Georgia Trump campaign lawyers who are part of the coup, have been charged uh, in uh, in the Georgia case. Uh, lawyers are included among the unindicted conspirators in the Jack Smith Trump case. I think that they will eventually uh, face charges when Smith is done, uh, keeping it simple for the sake of the um, of the Trump, um, getting Trump to trial in March. Um, there have been widespread bar complaints. I've filed a number of them. Uh, Rudy Giuliani has been uh, suspended from the practice of law. There's disbarment proceedings against John Eastman that are quite advanced in California. Uh, Jeff Clark, uh, the subject of a bar review uh, here in the District of Columbia. So we are seeing um, some consequences. Jenna Ellis, also charged in Georgia, she was sanctioned, um, uh, disciplined by the bar, not disbarred, but disciplined by the bar in Colorado. So we are seeing some consequences. Then there's others. Uh, Cleta Mitchell, who helped uh, from the beginning, helped Trump uh, from the beginning with uh, getting John Eastman involved. To the end, she was on that infamous call that Trump had on January 2nd, pressuring Brad Raffensperger to just, quote, find 11,780 votes that did not exist. The, the special grand jury recommended charges against Cleta Mitchell, but she dodged a bullet. The, right. uh, for whatever reason, Fani did not charge her. So there, there are both the Eastmans and the Chesbros and the Ellises who have faced consequences, the Clarks, and um, and then the Cletus who haven't, and some of the less well-known uh, participants. You know, as Judge Carter said in ruling on Eastman's um, uh, attorney-client privilege claims in California determining that the crime fraud exception applied. Um, this was a, um, a coup in search of a legal theory. Right. Not all of the lawyers who provided the legal theory have been charged. Right. So um, uh, that is uh, probably a failing of the system, but at least some of the masterminds are facing accountability. Now we'll see what the juries do, starting with Chesbro. Right. So we also have um, two trials going on in New York. One is a civil case um, that could wind up um, separating Trump from his iconic buildings. Um, that's a civil suit. And the other is a criminal suit brought by Albert Bragg in Manhattan, um, which goes to um, separate but also falsified documents. Um, mm. Those may um, hit home in a way that perhaps Trump didn't expect or didn't uh, initially focus on. But he could lose his right to do business in uh, New York, and we could see those businesses. Um, I have a fantasy, I must admit. Instead of the Trump Tower, we'll have the Tish James Tower, um, perhaps, if he loses the uh, right to do business. Um, how much at risk is he in those two trials in New York? Um, I, I, think he's, I think he's at substantial risk. You know, the former president's uh, misdeeds are catching up to him. 
I've written a lot about the um, a lot about the uh, Tish James trial. I've probably dedicated as much bandwidth uh, to that as I have to any of the criminal trials. I the first of my major Trump reports uh, covered the uh, misconduct both. Uh, there, in my view, there were also um, uh, criminal exposure for these frauds. You know, Jen, you can't say your Trump Tower apartment is 30,000 square feet when it's 11,000 <laughs> square feet. Hey, close, you know. And there's a series, there's a series of, um, of those episodes where he's magnifying his val- the values of properties by um, uh, hundreds of times, uh, the Sandy Springs property, 40 Wall Street, and on and on. And the, um, the, the, and, and what's so telling is that there seems to be this cancer, and it concerns me for my former colleague, John Morrow, that this spreads to the lawyers. So uh, Judge um, Energon in that um, case uh, in New York has sanctioned the lawyers, not big sanctions, $7,500, because they are pressing some of Trump's ludicrous arguments. You know, right. they're saying it's not objective. Well, Jen, what could be more objective than 11000 versus 30000 I mean, it's right. a question of a ruler. For yeah. crying out loud. That's the definition of objectivity. Uh, so, um, I think the chickens are coming home to roost in the New York cases and more generally. And um, uh, that is, uh, you know, that is uh, painful for our democracy, but healthy for our democracy because no one is above the law. That's the American idea. Well, as far as the lawyers are concerned, I think we have to rely on our mutual friend, Rick Wilson, who says anything that Tom Trump touches, dies. And um, I unfortunately think that is true. We are going to end with something new for this program. We're going to do a lightning round, Norm. So this is going to be a mix mm, of predictions, okay. quick answers. So are you ready? You have your... Ready. Uh, you're ready. Okay. Uh, first conviction in the Trump uh, legal uh, array of cases. Um, let's see. Um April, end of April, or uh, in May uh, 2024, secured by Jack Smith in the federal January 6th case. Interesting. Uh, Do you need more precision? No, no, we're good. We're good. Um, Conviction or acquittal in the Alvin Bragg criminal case in New York? Um. Alvin Bragg was incredibly generous and statesmanlike in yielding his date to Jack Jack Smith. And as a result, I do not believe you will see that case tried until 2025, and it will result in conviction. Okay. Uh, There are, is it 19 defendants in the um, Georgia State case? How many of them are going to plead and cooperate with Fonnie Willis? Or put differently, how many trials are we actually going to see? How many people are going to go all the way through to trial? Um, You will see three trials with the judge 
um, in addition to Chesbro and Powell splitting the remaining pool of defendants and their number will drop to the high um, single digits because many of them will plead out as we are already seeing begin to happen and as Bonnie Willis has a history of doing in other major RICO cases to get good cooperators. Very good. Uh, Do the following people keep or lose their legal license? Jeff Clark. Lose. John Eastman. Lose. Ken Chesborough. Lose. Wow. There you go. Uh, A clean sweep. Um, When we see the final results of Donald Trump uh, and all of these trials, does he ever see the inside of a federal or state, I won't say prison, but facility. Confinement, yes. Confinement in something that is not Mar-a-Lago or a New York apartment, which he may or may not (laughs) still be operating. Um, Confinement arrangements will be made in a facility that can accommodate his Secret Service protection and extends some modicum of um, um, respect for a former president, but only a modicum. Wow. Wow. Um, That is uh, something to look forward to. All right. Uh, Final question. Does he get acquitted anywhere of anything? Where's the best hope that he has of slipping through the noose? Um, The um, noose will not be slipped if the case is complete trial and appeal. His best hope is to get reelected or have another Republican elected who um, pardons or otherwise interferes with the federal cases. And on that note, which is an ominous warning, we have to come back to maybe your favorite topic, which is your lodestar, which is democracy. Ultimately, it's going to be up to the voters. We cannot get the courts to solve this major threat to democracy for us. Whether they convict him, whether they incarcerate him, ultimately, it's going to be the American people at the ballot box, whether in the primary or if the Republican Party is so far gone that they wind up nominating him, at the ballot box in 2024 to reject him. And uh, ultimately, we're going to live or die by democracy. And uh, Norm, we thank you for all the work you've done on behalf of democracy. I am sure uh, your parents um, would be Bursting their bubbles, uh, bursting their buttons with pride because uh, (laughs) the the son of democracy has done them, uh, done them well. Um, So thank you for all the work you you. have done. And thank thank you you for joining us. I thank you for having me. And uh, I thank the American people because so far, 2018, 2020, 2022, three referenda on Donald Trump, three rejections of Donald Trump. So They have justified your and my faith that they'll do the right thing again in 2024. Thanks. Thank you.
And that was Norm Eisen, who did not disappoint either in his level of enthusiasm and optimism about democracy, nor in his precise and probing analysis of the Trump travails. But I want to underscore that last point that we discussed. Donald Trump could be convicted and nevertheless be on the ballot in 2024 and even be elected. There is nothing that is um, going to prevent him, in my estimation, from getting on the ballot. There is a very interesting legal theory that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, bars him from um, being uh, a candidate for federal office because he was engaged in a insurrection and assisted those. But I frankly think that ultimately there will not be courts um, or secretaries of state or other officials who are willing to take the responsibility for pulling him off the ballot. And so at some point, we are going to be faced with a criminal running for president. And whether he's been convicted, whether those cases are on appeal, whether those trials are still pending, the American people are going to have a very serious, stark choice. And in some respects, I can hardly believe it. I can hardly believe that such a heinous character who has committed so many acts of wrongdoing could be a legitimate candidate for public office, let alone the presidency. But of course, he has completely corrupted the Republican Party. He has turned them into supplicants, enablers in his crime spree. He has made them into a kind of Greek chorus that simply echoes whatever nonsense he puts out there. And because of that, I don't see that the Republicans are going to break with him. Uh, At one point, I thought, well, maybe if we get a conviction, then they'll break with him. I don't even think that would do it because it's all rigged, you see. It's all a plot. He's all, uh, it's all about him being a victim. So it's going to be up to the rest of us in November. And it shouldn't be close. No American who is patriotic, who is concerned with the survival of democracy, should ever dream of voting for him. But unfortunately, we know that's not the case. We know that many Americans are trapped in this echo chamber, in this cocoon of Fox News and right-wing media, that they only get the Trump propaganda um, repeated and repeated and repeated to them. So they actually believe this. And as a result, there will be people, millions of people, who will vote for him. There will be states that choose him most likely in 2024. And that puts the onus on the rest of us. I don't care if you voted for him once or twice. I don't care if you've never voted for a Democrat in your life. Now will be the test of true patriotism. Now will be the time uh, to decide whether we really want a democracy because we're not going to have fantasy candidates. We're not going to have a 35-year-old um dynamic speaker on the um, ticket as the Democratic candidate. We're going to have Joe Biden. Joe Biden is old, but Joe Biden is decent. Joe Biden has been a good president. Joe Biden respects democracy and the rule of law. And that's the choice. We all have to kind of grow up and realize what the choice is. It's not between a perfect candidate and Donald Trump. It's between a decent, good candidate and Donald Trump. That's the choice we're going to make. And if we can, as a country, make the right choice and elect Joe Biden um, with all of the criticisms, with all of the imperfections, 
then perhaps democracy is beyond us. Because if we do elect Donald Trump, he will destroy what is left of our democracy. He's already said he's going to really turn the executive branch into his own private um, kind of cesspool of corruption. It's going to be Tammany Hall writ large. He's going to go after his opponents. He's going to go after the press. And we will not see an America that many of us would recognize. So the stakes could not be higher. And I am very appreciative that those of you who care about America tune in and listen to us each week. If you like the show, please tell your friends, have them listen as well and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever they get their podcasts. Bye-bye.